there's far too few ways for people, for students, for young people to get exposed to the changes and opportunities that are going on. More and more, people don't feel like they have a voice. You get there through, you know, through hard work and, 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 and having ambition and having a dream. We know what allows kids to grow and to thrive. We, we know what allows adults. It's giving them autonomy. Hi, and welcome to In Piazza. I'm Jeannie Allen. I'm Michael Moe. And today we have a special uh, episode. Michael and I are just going to talk about a lot of the issues that um, we're most interested in, uh, that seem most important to us. Um, some that I think a lot of people are interested in, Michael, right? Maybe some they'll find a little controversial? Well, we'll see. But um, it's always good to have a robust discussion, as they say. Um, that's true. So um, I don't know if you want to jump in right away to what we've done in the past, but um, we've had some pretty cool guests, um, pretty memorable guests in the past. I know that one of my favorites was your pal, Joe Lonsdale, um, who said there's so many problems in the world the best technologists are capable of solving right now. And, you know, I just mentioned to you that today as we're recording uh, the podcast, we just found out that the nation's Report card, National Assessment of Educational Progress, revealed another science assessment from two years ago. And our kids are still barely 35% proficient in anything, um, which strikes me if you're Joe Lonsdale and you're a technologist or any number of people you could talk about, um, that's not really a hopeful sign. Well, it's um, an absolutely frightening sign as you think about this providing a window to our future. And you've got, you know, basically 65% of the students that um, aren't up to uh, up to snuff in terms of having that, that, that knowledge and that uh, the ability to apply that to where the world is heading. And so when you have fewer and fewer people that are participating in the future, you have more social unrest. And so I think the, the ironic thing as we look at these different issues and these different protests that are going on and the, the way that people are upset and you know what they should get upset with is going back to what's going on in our classrooms because that's really the foundation of pride not of, of providing opportunity and and clearly it's not working yet it's not getting nearly enough attention all sorts of other what i call symptoms are getting you know getting all the attention and all the people saying we need to we need to solve these symptoms well you got to go to the root of the problem and the root of the problem is that students aren't learning what they need to learn so they can be productive and be successful in society. Right, and so they can fight some of the challenges that we've talked about here, right? So they can fight for equity, so they can fight for justice, um, so they can have civil dialogue. I, you know, I guess I wonder in your opinion, you know, you're, you, you've been in Silicon Valley, um, Michael, you've been working with investors. I always sit here in um, my policy bubble, although I pride myself of not always being a bubble. We talk to real people. Why aren't more people mad? Like, is it because they don't know enough about the fact that when you actually take a snapshot of where we are in science and math and history, it tells us that our public schools are failing? Like if this were any other industry, what would happen? 
would go bankrupt. There's no possible way that you'd let a system exist where it has so little relevance to the customers that it's serving. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely pathetic. So why you ask the question, so why is this not creating you know, yeah. outrage? And the fact is it is creating outrage, but again, it's misdirected at, you know, at, 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 at consequences of having an education system that's failing the majority of the students. Mm-hmm. So in Silicon Valley, you know, it's made up of people that, you know, have you know, typically pretty, pretty strong education, strong skills um, and, and, and knowledge in, in STEM and other things that are the, the, you know, the industries uh, and the skills for the future. And so you've got this bubble and you, so you see the, the success of the technology businesses and that, you know, that they can afford to go to the private schools and even public schools in California, which are pretty pathetic overall. In Silicon Valley, the public schools, you have some of the best public schools in the country mm-hmm. because there's such attention and resources and focus on having, you know, having quality education. But that doesn't reflect what's going on with the vast majority of, of society. And that's, you know, I mean, so you see, you know, the, the, the protest of the summer and the inequality and all the different things that, you know, people are upset. It goes back to, you know, Occupy Wall Street. And it's, you know, and people are upset and they're upset because they can't get jobs that are paying them living wages or, you know, showing the kind of, uh, of opportunities that other people are getting and they're, and they're frustrated. Well, guess what? It all goes back to education. It's not their fault. It's our fault. It's our, it's a, it's our fault for letting this go on as it has for decades and decades and letting the public education system fail our society. Yeah, it's, you're so right. And I love hearing you talk about that. You know, I think about entrepreneurs um, and innovators and what um, and what they need. And that's not just in ed tech and Silicon Valley and investing and all sorts of tech. Some of the people like, for example, in Minnesota who started, I just read that heartbreaking story during the protest. And again, you, you totally get it. I mean, justice was served, but, but the fact that we went after and closed down um, the startup restaurant and bar that this couple saved for decades to create. Um, and, and you think about entrepreneurs and, and our kids going to school every day, you know that they want at their disposal so much more than what they're being given. And they're so bored by school. So on one hand, we have a failure that's driving, as you said, these symptoms, these outrages, these protests, and so much more, right? And changing political, like lots of different changing political winds, as Carlos Watson talked about on the show a few weeks ago. And on the other hand, we know what what allows kids to grow and to thrive. We we know what allows adults. It's giving them autonomy, not like holding their, their head down and telling them to do something. And so I kind of feel like, there's, there's two different Americas, right? And there's maybe many more di- Americas, you know, not, I'm not talking about racially right now. There's one that is rote memorization, deliver what you have. It's good enough for me when I was a child, it's good enough for you. Um, and then there's the other one that's just kind of entrepreneurial and innovative. Um, and, and I wonder if that's also one of the reasons that people can't quite get their arms around the problem because they see Elon Musk sending another craft out into space. You know, they see Richard Branson getting engaged. And so they go, well, things must be going well if there are people like that out there. Well, for sure, by the way, and those are inspirational and I think will motivate many, many people 
to be entrepreneurs and to attack you know great problems and great challenges and i think that's incredible and by the way i'm very optimistic as it relates to innovation and entrepreneurship and and how that's going to really um, not only um, create great things for society and civilization but it's also going to create tremendous opportunities that's amazing but unfortunately there's far too few ways for people for students for young people to get exposed to the changes and opportunities that are going on and you know to the the point of a school that you know is the different the the difference between i mean just look at you know in, in your neck of the woods you got thomas jefferson high school which is arguably the finest public high school in the united states of america not just virginia and across the potomac you know, literally a walking, you know, walk, a walkable distance. You got the worst high schools in America. Literally, dropout factories right. that you're sending kids into this environment, and you know they're not coming out. You know, <laughs> and and yet these are the same. You know, this is this. You know, this is America. That's just you know, it's unconscionable. So your future can't be determined by how well you select your parents. That's fundamentally unfair. And so if we really want to change things, we've got to think about how we create great schools. And again, it's not by bringing the great schools down, it's bringing the bad schools up, getting adults that are involved in caring, whether it's the parents, you know, which, or, you know, if you don't, if the parents aren't involved, you got to get adults involved with these, these young people and show them, you know, and, and create an education program that's both engaging and relevant. It's also showing a path and some of the things that people learn the best from is example the Elon Musk stories and the Richard Branson story. So Richard Branson's principal told him he was either, when he graduated, he said, you're either going to be a millionaire or you're going to be in jail. Well, <laughs> you know, there's a bunch of you know, students that probably uh, resemble that and understand, you know, we can go one of two ways. But, but the point is you take some of that um, creative thinking and some of the you know, divine, defined conventional wisdom and apply it to productive activity and you can maybe be the next Richard Branson. Mm-hmm. But people need to see that, they need to see those examples and understand that that can happen to them. And you need those adults in your lives and those mentors that really mean a lot. You know, I probably shared this with you before, but you know, when my dad came to this country from Italy, um, he was at about what should have been the fifth grade, but he had no language skills. So they put him in kindergarten and um, he was in a public high school in New York um, where there weren't actually a lot of non-English uh, speaking kids, believe it or not. And so there were other Italians around. I don't know whether they'd learned it before. My father was a peasant. And so, um, you know, he got treated pretty poorly for being, you know, 10 years old and being in kindergarten. And, you know, one day a teacher basically said, stay after school every day. I'll teach you English. And slowly but surely he made it you know, back up to where and a couple of years after he caught up with his peers. And then after that, um, you know, he was like, I guess you can really do anything, you know, in America, if you have people around you who are encouraging you. And then, you know, he's going to high school and he was going to go into some, he was like a, what they call it, um, a soda jerk. He was behind a fountain in a New York City pharmacy uh, doing, uh, doing ice cream sodas. And um, he didn't know what he was going to do. He was going to lay bricks like his father. And he was really good. And the high school said, you know, you really should go to college. Mm-hmm. And they went to a two-year and somebody else said, you know, you really should go to, you know, NYU's got a great engineering program. You seem really good at those things. 
And so part of it is also it's having the opportunity is there, even if you are the lowest level in your, you know, you feel like you're at the lowest level and you can't get up there. Um, when there are opportunities to thrive, like we were just in Harrisburg the other day showing and, and looking at a community center in the middle of one of the worst areas in the, in the Pennsylvania capital, um, where this gentleman literally plucks these kids off the street, um, gave them after school programs, eventually got them tax credit scholarships like vouchers to go to private schools. Kids come back and they mentor people. You know, and so they're doing all these entrepreneurial things for kids. And so we know that there are those thousands of stories out oh. there, right? Well, and again, I think what's made America the land of opportunity and the American dream is the story you just shared about your dad. And, you know, the story, my, my grandfather, Mo, Odd Mo, came from Trondheim, uh, Norway, on a boat, you know, with his eight brothers and sisters, third grade education. And then end up becoming the president of Ham's Brewery, which was a you know, Minnesota brewer that did okay. And yet, you know, and he got there through hard work and and through, you know, hustle and all the things that kind of go into it. But he always knew for his kids that they were going to get educated because that was the ticket to, to opportunity. So my dad and his brother, you know, graduated from both law school. And you know, it was my grandfather. There was nothing he was more proud of than to see his sons. Not, by the way, they accomplished things in other areas, but what he was most proud of was the fact that they were both, you know, both got graduate school and a law degrees. And so, but that's, you know, it's America and it's over and over and over again, but it's showing that you that path to opportunity and that, you know, and honestly, that you don't get this just by somebody handing you something. You get there through, you know, through hard work and, 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 and having ambition and having a dream. Now, in fairness, I think that having a dream today becomes, um, you know, becomes impractical because of some of the impediments that are in, in front of many of the young people that, you know, that are, that are growing up in these situations where, you know, they don't have uh, excellent teaching. They don't have facilities that you'd send any normal person into. I mean, they don't have role models and people, adults that are paying attention to them. They're just, and, and that's, that's inconscionable. That shouldn't yeah. be the United States of America. That has to be changed. Yeah, no, absolutely. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And again, part of that is to get opportunity, you need to give opportunity. Um, you know, there's been a lot uh, written about redlining. Redlining is the practice of when, you know, back in the fifties and sixties, when districts were created or school housing patterns were created, which led to school districts. And so you tended to get more minority and poor people in certain places in communities. And so we, we actually, as a nation, created inequitable, um, many have called them racist, housing patterns that led to just as in unequal you know, schooling, which also, by the way, coming back to kind of business and entrepreneurship, means businesses aren't going to set up there, means no one's going to invest in those communities. And so, you know, it's always interesting, like you go to these different cities that were once sort of the apex of, you know, American middle class and business, and um, they're really, really dire places for people. And you're right, if we're not putting the opportunity in front of them, um, how they can succeed. That said, I don't think it's more government programs, you know, but government programs resulted in those housing patterns, frankly, and then people just you know, perpetuated um, racist treatment of people or inequitable treatment of people. But 
Well, as, Ronald Reagan, as Ronald Reagan said, the nine scariest words in the in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. So Yeah. And here we are with the biggest growth of government spending since FDR in an attempt to ward off the impact of the pandemic. I mean, where is that going to go? Well, it, you know, obviously the pandemic has uh, turned the world upside down. It's, um, you know, obviously a serious, serious um, virus that required, you know, significant um, focus and attention on whether it was handled the right way or whether we're still handled the way. That's a debate for another day and maybe over, over, over time. But one thing we know for sure is people, to no fault of their own, have basically been devastated, you know, in terms of small businesses, in terms of people, you know, working, you know, in, in hospitality and a variety of other, you know, sectors. And, you know, and it wasn't their fault. Basically, when the government said, you know, right. we're, we're shutting everything down, what do you do? So the government had to, you know, only fair to step in and, and try to help and support. Now, where does that help and support stop and where does it become where it becomes a dependency or effectively a nanny state. Um, and that's, and, 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 and by the way, you know, creating um, money, you know, be you know, spending money that we don't have basically by printing money and creating inflation and creating all sorts of things mm -hmm. that in the short term, people might not necessarily, you know, it might feel like you're, 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 um, you know, lessening the pain, but in the long term, it's going to be even more significant than, than the, the, the problems or the, the pain that you're trying to, to, to fix. So yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a really, really, really um, scary time. And I think there's gotta be some sober conversations, you know, where we wanna help people, but you just don't, you, you know, keep on printing money and keep on throwing money at this, is not gonna, you know, this is not gonna end well. Going back to the, how we start our conversation and the dismal science scores, um, you know, you, you look at back to the, the root of the problem and having schools that aren't teaching students what they need to learn. And why is that? It's, it's not a function of money. I mean, the government has provided, you know, the government, the money that goes into our schools is extraordinary. It's that the, the, the how it's spent and the accountability and frankly, the choices that parents should you know, have that would create accountability for schools. So they couldn't just exist and you know keep on going even though they're failing students. It's not the students are failing, it's the schools are failing the students. Mm -hmm. That wouldn't exist if you had a more marketplace-driven system and had more accountability to having teachers and principals and schools uh, be you know serve its students and its population right. So anyway, I I'm not anti-government by any stretch of the imagination. The government is, you know, fundamental and needed for key things. I think, unfortunately, though, if you feed it too much or if it becomes too large, it right. becomes it becomes inefficient. It becomes not accountable. It basically becomes, you know, it, it's it's like the government's supposed to be here to serve the people, not the people to serve the government. Right. And again, there are some phenomenal people who have made the train continue to run and even improve over time. Um, government can't solve all the problems. It can solve some of them. And I agree with you. Look, this has been a huge challenge, the pandemic. Um, I guess my, my concern is now we're sending lots and lots of money to schools that are still not open. Many are talking about not being open. And instead of funding families, we're funding 
systems, which I think is why there are so many innovators and entrepreneurs you and I talk to on a regular basis that say it's ridiculous. I mean, half of the school new school reform programs that have been enacted in the last few weeks weren't just because there were legislators and governors. There were like really awesome, innovative business leaders behind it saying we got to make changes in our state. Yeah. Well, I mean, you and I both know a number of people who are getting sent money and, is, and are said, look, money is not what we need. <laughs> you know, we don't even know what we're going to do with this money. So, you know, I, I think that's, it's, it's unfortunate, you know, because it doesn't, it hides a problem that's been existing for some time. I mean, you look at, you know, so you're, you live in Washington, DC. I live in California. Well, California became the golden state, the land of, you know, where people moved, you know, from around the country, but also around the world because opportunity was being created here at the best public schools. It had the best infrastructure. It had the, you know, it was this place that was anything was possible. And what, you know, now what's happened, you know, you basically got 50% of the homeless populations in California. You have the worst schools, some of the worst schools in the United States. You have, you know, basically, you know, have this incredible, you have all these incredible natural assets and they're being destroyed. And so you have what I call Texas that's taking place where you had, you know, something like 80,000 people out of California in the last 12 months have moved from California to Texas, you know, and, and obviously moving all sorts of other places as well. That's, it's a direct indictment of the fact that you've not, you've, you've, you've basically gone from this environment that promoted equality, that promoted opportunity, that gave that foundation of great schools and, you know, and, and all the things that, that, you know, that, that support people to, to rise up and it's basically gotten, you know, absolutely uh, decimated and the government is sitting there saying basically, you know, look, well, we're here to support all that nonsense. Well, Cal you know, San Francisco looks like, you know, when, when jo the Joker took over Gotham City and Batman, <laughs> that's what San Francisco looks like these days. Yeah. Yeah. Same with New York. You know, it's really, um, it's sad. They're finally taking uh, boards to off buildings here, but it's, it's expensive. People don't want to move here anymore. Um, it really, it's a shame. You know, you mentioned, a, you mentioned a point about looking for sort of op, the land of opportunity. Um, you know, I think about also how, how much people being actively engaged in their local communities, in government, right, challenging sort of authority, if you will, over time, got us what we have, like, give me the ability to live free, um, give me the ability to build stuff, you go to your city council, you could, you know, show up at your town hall, and it still happens in so many places, but more and more people don't feel like they have a voice. Well, if your voice is different than the accepted voice, which is, you know, the, you know, it's, it's, you know, the, you know, you, you basically get canceled. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, this, this idea of one of the things that's great about a free society is free speech and having divergent opinions. I actually believe 80% of the people or more in America essentially want the same things. Mm -hmm. They might have a difference of opinion how to get there, but that's, that's fair game. We should be having those conversations. Totally. We should be having those debates, because if you're trying to get to the same place, we just have different ways. We, we have a different ideas how to get there. We'll let let the ideas flow. But if you can't have the exact idea, you know, we have four thousand universities in the United States, but one opinion. That's crazy. You mm -hmm. look at the cancel culture that we're in, and the, you know, and the fact that Shakespeare can be canceled, you know, is is you know, or, or Christopher Columbus can be canceled, 
and 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 not having people understand the full context of history and you know and how things have evolved that's that's a disservice to society it, it doesn't it's not it's not it, it's not progressive it's regressive right it's not, promo it's not promoting liberal thought it's creating illiberal thoughts and yet that's not you know that's not how it's promoted and then you have not to not to jump on a bandwagon but again and now you just got this this reinforcement of the media sources, which there's, you know, you pick pick your side, you know, there's there's very few kind of what I'd call balanced um, perspectives that are being shared, and that yeah. just reinforces this this divide that's not really solving problems. It's just having people complain about the other side. You know, I was thinking about that something similar to what you just said for, with regard to some of our friends in sort of the call it the innovative university world, Arizona State University. Southern Hampshire, you know, Western governors, um, all of those institutions, there's not a lot that says, um, come here, you're going to have like one point of view, or we're here for your, we're here to socially engineer. It's all about, we're going to make it, we're going to make, we're going to give you a better pathway, a more efficient pathway to get to and through school so that you can have a great career. And I, I hasten to think that none of them are leading the charge for the cancel culture, which is probably what's making them like bigger and more demand, right? Well, I think so. I mean, you know, I couldn't, I think both the two institutions you mentioned, Arizona State University and Southern New Hampshire are both um, incredibly innovative, um, pro, you know, in the real true sense of the word progressive institutions that look at their mandate as an academic institution to develop um, people's minds and provide them education and knowledge and skills that allow them to thrive in, in, in society in the future. And they also look at their, their mission, you know, this whole idea of elitism mm -hmm. and the old, the old kind of, you know, absolutely uh, strange definition of elitism being scarcity, where elitism really should be about excellence. And so I think of an Arizona State University, largest public university in the United States, but also the most innovative university in the United States. And they look at their mission of how they reach as many people as they can humanly reach to give them the knowledge and education to be successful. That makes a lot of sense. And yet that is a, is a, is an unusual um, point of view for most of higher education. So true. Okay. So a couple of other uh, last issues that I'd love to hear your take on one um, deals with sort of the whole trading and the Robin hood era, which is making investing accessible um, to the average person. And a lot of people talking about it. I know for myself, I, I had actually asked one of my sons about it. So, so talk about what that whole, you know, era is, why it's so different. And then, um, and then maybe just to jump into the global world, like you're traveling globally again now, what is the global world thinking about us? So I want to give you a chance to kind of talk a little bit about those things. Great. Well, first of all, as it relates to platforms like Robinhood and these kind of next generation um, platforms for investing, um, I think it's frankly great. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's great. It's democratized access for people to in, you know, participate in the capital markets. You know, Robinhood obviously you know, eliminates friction in the in the process by making your trading free and frankly again the system has been where the large institutions have effectively had you know dis you know, had unfair access to information 
unfair uh, cost advantages and their own private system. You have their Bloomberg terminals, which had a channel called Fortune, you know, Fort Channel, which is sort of the thing. Now you got Reddit. So, I mean, all this stuff is all of a sudden the little guy. And I think we saw this, you know, with GameStop and, and, and some of these meme stocks. You know, it's, it's just all this kind of like the, where the little guy says, look, you know, we, the Internet has, has, has democratized a lot of this. So we can, you know, we can kind of compete against these large institutional investors who have had a rigged system for decades and decades and de decades. That's what Wall Street, you know, was made up of unfair advantages for the big guy. So that I think that's I think it's terrific that the little guys are be able to participate in the way that they are. There's definitely going to be some mistakes made and some pain that is absorbed. But generally speaking, I think it's a healthy thing. I think it's a good thing that people are uh, participating in their future. And that and so I think that's that's terrific. Um, as it relates to the kind of the global perception of the United States, um, I think, you know, my my view is that, you know, the world wants the United States to lead. The world wants the United States to step up and be that beacon of hope and of the, you know, the optimism and the, what, you know, what can happen through ingenuity and through creativity and through entrepreneurship and hustle and so forth. And I think the world's wondering kind of where the United States is in a lot of these issues and challenges. I, I think the United States, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic about the United States, but I think it needs to get its mojo back. Mm -hmm. It needs to get its mojo back. It needs to feel like, you know, we don't have to be, you know, mother may I, and I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm just saying it has to kind of step up and say, you know what, you know, what are the challenges that face uh, not only the United States, but face uh, the world. And we've got to be out there leading with the best ideas and the most um, aggressive steps to, to do that. And that's not, you know, United States exceptionalism, although, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for and a lot to be proud of in terms of the things that, that the United States has done in its nearly 250 year history. But I think it's, but, but more to the point, um, you know, people around the world are hoping that the United States will step up again and be the leader that it's, you know, that it's historically been. Yeah, we have a big anniversary coming up in 2026. I'm sure there'll be controversy about what we're celebrating, given what we're doing. But, you know, Michael, I, you're, uh, you couldn't be more right. And I, and I do think that, um, for me, that notion of community that was always very much um, a part and parcel of what the United States was about. It's what de Tocqueville saw when he reported back to people around the globe, that it was amazing that every place he went, he saw people convening voluntarily and and making their own communities and there were there were lumbers in one place and there were merchants in another and they had conversations and um you know we started in piazza to kind of start building those conversations and community back again where there are no issues off the table where we could actually engage with people who have different opinions now no one really likes to come on and say anything that's going to upset anybody. Um, everyone's walking on eggs today, but I think it's so important that we go back to where you can walk next door, say something like, I don't like your roses to, gee, your guy won the White House. Too bad. That's not who I voted for without having somebody um, come at you or even, hey, let's get together and make sure that our community is safe. Yeah, I mean, again, you can disagree without being disagreeable. You can have a different opinion without being an evil person. I think, you know, and again, back to America, you know, not to be apologized for being America. Gosh, around the world, 
I mean, the American dream is the China dream. It's the Indian dream. I mean, it's everybody was, loves this idea of America and that there's nothing that can, can will limit you. If you know, if you work hard and you study and you keep your nose clean, it doesn't matter who your parents are, or where you went to school. That's the that's the dream that's shared around the world. And that's America needs to take that back. And as it relates, you know, as it relates to just this idea of the kind of the the in piazza and having this discussion around issues. I mean, gosh, I think the, the what what was going to be the healthiest thing for society is that we can have strong opposing views on on things of how to solve different problems. But when all said and done, you know, we come together, you know, together and say, you know, I respect you as a person. I know that you come from this with sincere, you know, from a sincere place, and you know, and let's 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 laugh about some things or celebrate something that we share together. And that's that's I think the the the, the bottom line of what what needs to happen: come together as a people and look at, at the things that we share, as opposed to the things that keep us apart. Well, and I think on that note, we should welcome people to um, tweet at us at In Piazza um, their ideas about people or topics, because we said we would talk about issues and ideas, but most important to fulfilling and advancing human potential, including how we educate our kids, because we both love that issue, acquiring knowledge, getting better at work, and building strong communities. So as we say uh, in Piazza, ci vediamo. See you later. Ciao. Thanks for listening, everybody. You can find In Piazza wherever you get your podcast. This is a special project of the Center for Education Reform and GSV. Thanks for listening to In Piazza. Ci vediamo, or as we say in English, we'll see you soon. I'm Jeannie Allen. I'm Michael Moe. Ciao.